0: His name was Abram, later changed to Abraham. Her name was Sarah, later changed to Sarah. And this couple turns out to be the most important couple in all of ancient history. The three great world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all claim to be living out the, the implications of God's call and promises to Abraham and Sarah, How important are Abraham and Sarah to our faith? The very first book of the, of the New Testament, the very first verse, Matthew 1.1, says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right from the very beginning, this is the most important couple. And then in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, what we would think would be the, the seminal writing of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, he takes Abraham as the example of faith that leads to salvation. Abraham, above all the other examples, is lifted up. And then Paul writes again in, uh, in Galatians 3, 7, Paul writes, understand... Those who have faith are children of Abraham. And then a little bit further down, he says, if you belong to Christ, so he's really talking to to Christians here very clearly. If you belong to Christ, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then and now and always, if you you belong to Christ, Galatians 3.29, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs of, To the promise. So so we better know what the promise is. We better know where we come from, right? Spiritually, we need to know our roots and where we come from. We come from this couple 4,000 some years ago. The call that God had on their life and their footsteps of faith. We need to to learn from them because it's through this couple that God's irresistible plans, His unrighteousness, unstoppable plans of salvation come through. So that's why we're looking at it. So let's look at verses here. The Lord God commands him, he says, leave your country, Abram, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. God interrupted their life, didn't he? God interrupted their life. God God tends to do that when he calls us to take a step of faith, amen? Has he ever done that in your life? A step of faith that's going to interrupt your plans. It's going to mess things up. You've you've got other plans. You've got other dreams. And and God comes in and says, take this step of faith. Trust me in this. God's going to make a promise to Abram. But it's going to interrupt things. It's going to change things. Now, the Lord God promises to to bless this family. But not only that, he's going to bless them into being a nation. Verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. He's taking the right steps of faith right there, isn't he? God says, go, and Abraham gets up and goes. He tells you to do something. God tells you to change something. You hear a message, a devotional. A friend comes alongside and gives you a word of wisdom from God's word, and you say, okay, I'm going to take you up on that offer, Lord. You, You promise a blessing in this. I'll take a little step of faith. And that's exactly what Abraham does. Now, I said Abraham is the example of faith, right? So we're thinking that that he's not going to make any mistakes, right? If he's the best example, he's the goat, the greatest of all time. Abraham takes God as word, but look at verse 4. It says, so Abraham left as the Lord told him, and then keep reading, and Lot went with him. And Lot went with him. The Lord God said, Abraham, I want you to take your family, leave your country, check. Leave your people, check. Leave your father's household. Wait a second, Lot is his nephew. He said, he said leave your household. Why, why is Abram bringing his nephew along for the ride? What's going on here? You see, Abram wants a little insurance policy. Abram and Sarai were not able to conceive kids. They were never able to have children. They're childless. And Sarah is is long since past the time where she could have a child, as much as they understand. And so Abram's going to trust God. He's going to take that step of faith, but he's going to bring a little insurance policy with him. Can you relate to that? Do any of us do that? We take a step of faith, but I'm just going to hedge my my bet here just a little bit, just a smidge, just in case because I don't know exactly what's coming. I'm going to trust my instincts on this one. To the outside world, look, they left. They left their home. They, they left their people. They left almost everyone behind. Haven't we done the same? You're, you're challenged to take a, a step of faith, and you say yes and amen, but hmm, I'm going to hold back just a little bit. Instead, instead of taking God at his word, now, now, thankfully, Abraham, uh, Abram, Abraham, you're going to hear me go back and forth because his name is going to change in a few chapters. He gets a big dollop of God's grace. God, God's going to pause on that moment. We're, not going to, we're going to have to come back to the foreshadowing of Lot, who's going to cause all sorts of problems for Abram in just a little while. Notice also it says how Abram brings all this wealth with him. That's going to cause him all sorts of problems as well. This is full little foreshadowing. But by verse 7, they're on their way. The Lord says to Abraham, I will bless your offspring, and I will give you this land. We've traveled a thousand miles in just a series of a couple of verses. Abram sits down, he sets up an altar, and he worships God at the altar in the promised land, in the land of Canaan, where there's still people there. That's also foreshadowing. But this is the high point. This is the high point of Abram's life. In just a matter of a few verses, God says, Go do this. He does it. And then what happens? The first crisis. Look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Okay, Abram. What are you going to do? You are now in the promised land, right? He's not in the east anymore. East is bad. West is good. He's in the promised land. There's a famine. What are you going to do, Lord? How will you solve this? That's not the prayer that he asks. He takes his own counsel. Because the famine is what? It's severe. Not enough food to feed all those mouths, all those people that he's bringing with him. And so what's he going to do? It says here, and so Abram went down to Egypt. Does anything good happen when you go down to Egypt in the Bible? No. He goes down there just to live for a little while. How long is he going to be down there? Just, a little, just for a little while. The promised land is still there, right? It's not going anywhere. I can always go back. What's motivating Abram at this point? Is it faith? Or is it fear? See, Abram, like you and me, he's taking in all of the information, all the data. He's making a, a conscious decision here, and he's motivated by that fear. He's taking everything into consideration except for the fact that the Lord God has called him to this place, to the promised land. But Abraham looks at all the facts, except for the one, the greatest fact that the Lord God has called him, and the Lord God promises to provide for him. But he sees the situation, he sees it severe, and he says, "Well, you know, Egypt looks so nice. Let's just take a little break. And so Abram literally steps out of the promised land, out of God's will, to try to make things right for a season. Have you ever done that? You're right where God wants you to be, and yet it's getting hard and dry and difficult. And so we follow our instinct. That's what Abram's doing here. The greatest example of faith, right? With ups and downs. And now Abram's on a roll. Because he goes down down to Egypt. They're at the border. And what's he do next? It's amazing how... uh, Moses and the author of Genesis doesn't give any commentary, but when you're reading God's word, look at what it says. What he says to his wife—that's totally, absolutely shameful. What he says to his wife—he says, "Honey, you are so beautiful, and I know when we cross that border, uh, they're going to think, they're going to see how, how beautiful you are, how how exotic you are, and they're going to want to take you uh, into Pharaoh's harem. So tell you what—tell them that you're my sister, so they don't kill me." I'm going to pass you off as my sister, and you'll go into his harem. We know what that means, but then it'll go well for me so that I will be treated, quote, well for your sake, and so my life will be spared because of you. Really? Is that for real? What is Sarai thinking, ladies? They're not recording what she says, but what do you think she's thinking? Abram. You led us on this great journey, a thousand miles. I see this incredible faith in you. You're just glowing up. You're this leadership, all these characteristics that I love about you. And now this. I wonder how that's how he operated for 75 years to be, become such a successful businessman. Wheel and deal. Look out for number one for himself. But what is he doing? How shameful. He's forgotten his marriage vows. When you read scripture, you have to see, these are real people. These are real consequences. It's not edited. This would be edited, wouldn't it? Out of history. How embarrassing. When someone, some scribe scratched this part out. No, it's left in for us to see and to learn about the footsteps of faith and the mistakes that we make and how the Lord God still guides us to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Abram is only saying a half lie when he refers to Sarah or Sarah as his sister, because uh, they share the same father, they are a half brother and sister. But but a half truth to cover up a lie is still what? It's still a lie. Is the Lord going to stand for this? Look at verse 17. Is the Lord God going to stand for this? Oh no. The Lord God is the only gentleman in this whole story. It says the Lord God inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. The Lord God is the only gentleman in this whole story. Pharaoh is a P.I.G. pig. He's a pig. And yet it's Pharaoh who at least shows some semblance of decency here, doesn't he? When it turns out he finds out who, who Sarai actually is, he is the voice of reason. Imagine years later. When Abram reflected on this scene, how deeply that would have impacted him. All the things he probably thought of, the things that he would project on Pharaoh, how terrible Pharaoh is down there in Egypt. And yet, it's Pharaoh who's used by God to speak a word of truth. Pharaoh's immigration and customs enforcement, his version of ICE, takes his family and clan and kicks them out over the border. It shows that that God can use even an an unbelieving, unsuspecting government agency to fulfill his will, amen? We have a team down in Costa Rica with refugees who've left their home and they've crossed the border right into the arms of Corner of Love ministry. God's at work there, amen? He does this to get his people where he wants them to be. And it's the Holy Spirit who protects Sarai, protects her from this situation and make sure that this family gets back to where they're supposed to be in the promised land. And it's all by God's grace. It's all God's grace because Abram so far has taken misstep after misstep. It shows how much God loves the world for the sake of the plan that he's instituting through this family. God keeps the plan on track. God is faithful even when Abram is faithless. And they return to the promised land. And what does Abraham do? What's Abram do? He retraces his steps of faith. Have you ever had to do that? You've made a big blunder in your faith, in your marriage, professionally. You've said the wrong thing. You went too far. That argument with your adult kids, you just said something that you wish you could take back. We have to retrace, don't we? We have to take a step back. And that's exactly what Abram does. He retraces his steps back to where he built that first altar to get right with the Lord. And it says he calls on the name of the Lord, calls on the name of the creator, calls on the one who who loves him and loves the world, calls on the one who's given him life and given Abram everything that he possesses. And he's just calling out before the Lord and now he's back where he's meant to be three points in this message if you're taking notes here it is number 1 being in the center of god's will is no guarantee that you won't face hardship i can look around this room and, and see people nodding you can be in the center of god's will and that's no guarantee that you will avoid hardship luke 9:23-24 jesus said If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Was Jesus in the center of his Father's will when he went to Calvary? Yes. Amen. Absolutely. So being in the center of God's will does not protect us from hardship. And in fact... Being in that dry, desolate place, that that place of famine, that place where resources are stripped away from you, that might be exactly where the Lord God wants you to be right now. That you would trust Him. That you would look to Him. That you would see how He will provide. You'll see how God will make Himself glorified in your circumstance. Rather than taking your own counsel, saying there's there's no way that that God could be so good and yet allow this terrible thing to be happening to me or to my loved one. We need to step back and think how how big God is. This is a story that's over 4,000 years old. And not one of us would be in this room if it wasn't for Abraham and Sarah, what God did in their life. So if you're in a dry place right now, that might be exactly where the Lord wants you to be. Until now. In fact, I believe even this morning someone will be delivered from that dry, desolate place. I believe that this morning someone will be delivered from that place of, of lacking, that place of famine, and will be filled up by the Holy Spirit. Number two, too often when we face when we're faced with hard choices, we toss up a quick prayer. But then we just go about taking our our own advice, don't we? We're faced with a a hard situation. Oh, God, help me very much. uh, Appreciate that. This is what I'm planning to do. And we just act. But maybe, just maybe, if we're reminded of how much God loves his children, how much God loves you, like a parent loving a child, maybe if we just wait for just a moment before we act. We won't take all those missteps down to Egypt. I know that's true in my life. Times when I've tried to force something. Times when I've tried to make something happen. And God, I just know you're going to bless it because what I'm trying to make happen, I know is a good thing for you and for me. So let's make it happen, Lord. And he says, no, no, wait, Crises will come. I wish that they went, but they do. They come, and our natural instinct to a crisis is fear. It's fight or flight. And what does fear do? Fear distorts our vision. What a beautiful thing in Scripture. Over 300 times, the Lord God says, Fear not. Fear not. You could, just, you could spend the whole afternoon reading through Scripture and underlining 300 passages where the Lord God says, Fear not. That takes faith. Thinking, well, Pastor Pete, where's that, where's that faith come from? What, what do I do? Take a step of faith. I say, but in my heart of hearts, I'm still having all those questions and concerns. I know. But it's not the measure of your faith that matters. It's the one you're putting your faith into that matters. Abram missed out, almost missed out, on seeing how God could work through this crisis. Number three, the journey of faith starts with one step and continues one step at a time. Can we pull up the uh, image of our church logo on the screen? I love our, our, uh, our logo. It's sort of an homage to the original one that we've had for so many years. Because it's similar in that there's a the, there's a mountain range and there's a cross. I, I don't know about you, but I see a, a an M sort of shape in that cross, but but I also see the journey of faith. I see footsteps from left to right on our way to the foot of the cross where we come and we say, "Jesus, I surrender to you, I want to trust in you." And what a spiritual high that that just ascends from there. 30 years ago this week, 30 years ago, February 19th, 1989, I gave my life to Jesus for the first time and I just ascended and then I went to college <laughs> and then I met Cheryl and and started, and then I started to trust myself. Isn't that the way we are? Don't we go like this? Do you know anyone who, who comes like this and spiritually just becomes an absolute giant, like a superstar? Do you... Have you known anyone truly? We celebrated, celebrated uh, a Roger's life yesterday, and I love the, the honesty of, of one of his colleagues, uh, Pastor Jed, and she shared, she said, you know, he could, be a stu- he could be stubborn. He could be stubborn. Nobody's perfect. Up and down and up and down, and yet the Lord is with you all the way through. We need to choose to trust God every day. We need to make a choice to take a step of faith every day. To say, today I choose this life. This life that looks countercultural and confusing and strange to my neighbors. This life that people can put labels on and call me all sorts of things. But I'm choosing this way, this path, because I know this leads to life. I want to tell you one more thing about Abraham, and then we'll close. Abraham is the first patriarch, and Sarah, the first matriarch. But the the idea of the patriarch is a wonderful, incredible, powerful image. But I want to tell you something even more amazing, a label that Abraham carried his whole life, and that was this, friend of God. Isn't that amazing? Abraham was known as a friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 23 says this, The scripture, referring to a passage we're going to look at uh, next week, Genesis uh, 15, 6. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? But what's more amazing than that, with all of his mistakes, with all of his faults and foibles, all the things that would put him on the front page of every tabloid in town. This wasn't a label that Abraham gave to himself. Who gave him this label? The Lord God. Isaiah 41, 8 and 9. It says, The Lord God said, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Imagine having the Lord God call you his friend. He does. You trust in Jesus, his son. He's invited you in. You're part of the family. More than a friend, he calls you son and daughter. And we look at Abraham and Sarah and we say, what? They must have been one in a million, right? That's just such incredible faith. Who could possibly have faith like them? What do we see right out of the gate? Some things that would be unspeakable. Things that would get me kicked out of this church, right? If I did these things Abraham did. Thank you. Yeah. A quick yes. <laughs> but it's the faithfulness of God. It's the love of God. It's the life that God has called them to. We're going to do something a little different in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to respond in faith. I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith. Or maybe you've experienced an altar call how intimidating and scary that is. You know, we have prayer partners up here every single Sunday. I try to remember to to remind you, hey, if you need a prayer, come forward. There's someone here and here to pray with you. And I can't tell you how many weeks I haven't seen more than one or two souls that dare come up to talk to someone in prayer. Why? Scary, isn't it? I don't want to come forward, be called out, and then I have to talk to somebody. Like I don't want to talk to Pastor Frank about my, what, my junk. Sorry, Pastor Frank, I love you, but I don't, want, I don't want to go there. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm just going to ask you to do this. Right now, close your eyes. In your heart of hearts, if you need one of these things, I, I want you to just, you don't have to raise hands. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. But I just want you to think, Do you need more God? Do you need more love? Or do you need more life? See, if you say to yourself, yeah, I need more God, it means I need to get right with the Lord. I want to know God more. I need to to know God in the midst of a hard situation that I'm facing, that I've gotten myself into. I need more of you, God, in my life. I need to understand the craziness of this world does not make sense. I'm not getting the answers I need. I need more God. If you say, I need more love, hey, I need more love too. This more of God's assuring touch of grace and love in my life and in your life. Maybe it's you want to claim that for someone else in your life that's struggling right now, someone struggling with, with depression, someone struggling with anxiety. You want to come forward and, and say with, with another brother or sister, amen, I need someone's prayer for for more love. And maybe it's more life. He said, I'm feeling like it's the same day after day after day. I can't make ends meet. Things are struggling. I need more life. And so this is what we're going to do. As Rob leads us in worship, we're going to stand. No one's going to be called out. There's no smoke machines. But we're going to have prayer partners here, here, and here. All you need to do is come forward, just like you would on Communion Sunday, and whisper to that prayer partner, More God, or more love, or more life. And then they're going to put a hand on your shoulder and just pray for you. 15 seconds prayer, Lord, I just pray for my sister here, that that you would reveal yourself more to her. She's asking for more of you, God. Please, oh God, make yourself known to her, amen. That's it. And then you can go back to your seat or you can stay up here and pray. But I believe the Lord God will minister to you this morning in a supernatural way. So I'd like to invite our prayer partners to come up. I'd like us to stand. And as you feel led, if you feel comfortable, come forward to ask for a moment of prayer. Let's stand together to sing with Rob. Know that.